This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Becky Vivi in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Today on the recap, is police reform moving forward in Chicago? The Chicago Police Department is still relying on its old and flawed gang database, despite promising two years ago to replace that. The city, like the rest of the country, is glued to the Chauvin trial. The officer was still on him when I approached. And what did his condition appear to be to you overall? In lay terms, I thought he was dead. And CPD is involved in the shooting of a minor. Police shot and killed 13-year-old Adam Toledo. There is body camera footage of the shooting. And a spokesperson for COPA now says they are making every effort and researching all legal avenues to release that footage. We'll unpack those stories and more on the recap today with WTTW host and reporter Paris Schutz and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. I want to start with this story out of Little Village. The family of a 13-year-old boy shot and killed by the Chicago police are demanding answers. Patrick, what do we know about what went down in the early hours of Monday morning? Well, we know what police say, which is police say officers responded to an alert about gunfire in the area. And that when they got there, they saw two people and one of them ran from police. Police chased him and an officer killed him with a single gunshot to the chest. Police say the person who was killed, who we now know to be a 13-year-old child, was was armed with a gun. It was, however, not revealed until yesterday that the victim of that shooting was 13-year-old Adam Toledo. Paris, why? Why was there a delay? Well, I think a lot of folks are asking that question, Becky, and it was interesting. I mean, we knew there was a police-involved shooting on Monday, and then, you know, for reporters in their inbox came this statement from police superintendent David Brown saying this is his worst nightmare, that a police-involved shooting involves a minor, and this one did, and they're fully cooperating with the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, COPA, which investigates police-involved shootings. They're turning over all the body cam footage. Mayor Lightfoot called for the release uh, publicly of any video. It's the law, and by the way, Lightfoot had a hand in writing that law after the Laquan McDonald case that police-involved shootings, video of those things, will be released uh, to the public. So it's just a matter of when. Well, this is a developing story, and we will have more as Patrick and Paris both follow this. So we'll keep we'll keep our eyes on WBEZ and WTTW for more information about this case. I want to turn now to the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. He is charged with killing George Floyd back in May 2020. Patrick, where do things stand with this trial right now? What have you heard from Chicago activists also? 
Yeah, well, so the trial, uh, you know, it started sort of in earnest on Monday with opening statements, and there's been witness testimony all week. The trial is expected to last about four weeks. Um, and what I've heard from people here in Chicago, activists here in Chicago, is that they are really watching this closely. They are looking to see justice done for George Floyd's family. You know, George Floyd's family is looking for a conviction here of Officer Chauvin. And they say they are following it closely, and they expect big protests when the trial ends, which, again, won't be for you know maybe three more weeks at this point. You know, one activist I was speaking with yesterday, it was a very emotional conversation we had about this. She said she, she feels a sort of obligation to follow it, but it's also very traumatizing to follow it. And mm-hmm. especially being here in Chicago, with, with we've had two people killed by Chicago police this week. And so she said she just sort of feels like she's following this. There's things going on around her in her own city, and it feels very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. We talked earlier last hour with Dr. Inger Burnett-Zeigler mm-hmm. about sort of the re-traumatization of, of watching this trial um, and making time to set it aside, really, and to unplug. You know, Paris, this trial is also bringing back to the mind of Chicagoans the 2014 killing of Chicago teen Laquan McDonald and the subsequent trial of former CPD officer Jason Van Dyke, who was convicted in that case. Are you seeing or hearing from folks in in the police community about the, the parallels here or even in the activist community? There are definite parallels that I hear. And if you look back to the Jason Van Dyke case, you know, he was convicted on second degree murder, which was a lower charge or a lesser charge than what I think activists wanted. I think the outcome of that trial was, well, justice was kind of done. So there wasn't a whole lot of anger uh, in the streets because, you know, he was convicted, but it wasn't exactly what they wanted. And if you look at this case, there are three charges against the Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin. You know, there's the manslaughter, and then there's the, the first and second degree murder. And I think prosecutors are well aware of how difficult it is to convict a police officer on first degree murder. So there's multiple pathways here to conviction. And you could see a jury potentially deadlocking on one or two of these charges and then convicting on another one. But if there's a full acquittal, then there's a lot of concern, not just among the activist community, but among public officials, police officers, that the unrest you saw last summer could happen again because they know what a heater this case is. And and I have to assume the jury knows that, too. Mm -hmm. Patrick, given that what Paris just mentioned How are Chicago police preparing for a verdict in this trial, which could come early next week? And also, again, we've got our own case here unfolding at home. Are Chicago police preparing for unrest? Yes. You know, I I reached out to CPD about that, and they said that they are watching the trial, watching the results, and that they are working with OEMC to sort of coordinate their planning around potential unrest or protests around the verdict. You know, I actually spoke with a Chicago police officer a couple days ago who said they've already been hearing from commanders about how, you know, get ready. We might be sending you downtown. Maybe they're already starting to send more more officers downtown in preparation for this. Mm -hmm. I want to turn to a new report out this week that found Chicago's finally making some progress on police reform, but still falling short of its goals. Patrick, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so this is a report in the consent decree. The consent decree is a court-ordered police reform plan that actually comes directly from the police killing of Laquan McDonald, which you mentioned earlier. The consent decree has been touted by every police leader and city official as, as this essential blueprint to making CPD more effective and more trusted. 
And it's been in effect for two years, and, and up until now, it's been all you know broken promises and missed deadlines. This report that came out this week from a court-appointed expert said CBD did and the city missed a lot of deadlines again. However, for the first time since the consent decree went into effect, the city is in, in compliance with more parts of the consent decree than it is out of compliance. It's something that at least city leaders are taking as a sign that they're, the city's turning the corner as, when it comes to police reform. Also, speaking of police reform, Paris, we learned in another report from the city's inspector general's office this week that the police department has only made minimal progress on its vow to replace and improve its controversial gang database. That's two years after the city watchdog found that that database was full of errors and ripe for abuse. How is the police department responding to that report? And and what do you think about the replacement of the gang database? Is the, that's obviously everyone agrees that's needed. In terms of response, they, they kind of responded with contempt to in, in, Inspector General Joe Ferguson's report, which basically found almost nothing has been done yeah. since they came out with the report two years ago, criticizing that database. And police superintendent David Brown says, well, just wait, we've got we're revamping the whole thing, and we're going to unveil it uh, next fall. The database has been problematic because, you know, it lists more than 100,000 Chicagoans that are supposedly affiliated with a gang. And I've actually interviewed folks that are on that database that feel they were wrongly put on there. They don't know how they were put on there. Or they were on there 15 or 20 years ago when they were a kid, and it prevents them from being able to find employment or to get a loan, um, things like that. And obviously it unduly targets black and brown communities. So there is a consensus that it needs to be updated. And at this point, we really don't know what the police department is doing to change it, just that they don't agree with the IG's report that that there haven't been changes made. And then to Patrick's point on the consent decree, you know, the city is spinning this latest report as positive, but, you know, police reform advocates are saying absolutely not. They're still missing a lot of their deadlines here for compliance with this decree. And then there's the community outreach part of it. All right, they're doing a little bit better engaging with communities. But we spoke with the ACLU this week saying they're very skeptical that the police department was just doing that in the last, you know, several weeks to comply here. But is this going to be practice going forward where they engage better with Chicago communities? Right. And on that, I mean, it it does feel a little bit like one of these weeks where can the Chicago police improve community police relations? Patrick, you've done tons of reporting on that. And where do you think things stand right now? Well, that's such a good question. I mean, I really do think it depends on who you ask. If Paris is right, I mean, the, the police department would tell you that they're doing a lot more that, you know, they used to never have community feedback on policies, for instance. And now they now they do that regularly, that they're trying these new pilot programs to sort of directly connect officers with community residents but if you if you talk to activists or police reform experts, they think a lot. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. They think that they haven't seen any meaningful meaningful change on the street, and certainly things like police killing a 13 year old boy or the gang database report. Those things are not going to help police community relations. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing here. There's been so much brain drain at the top of the police department, and this might connect with the higher homicide rate this year, too. I mean, it's not just the embattled former police superintendent, Eddie Johnson, that's gone, but it's so many top lieutenants that have retired, and there's so much shuffling going. You know, think of all the institutional knowledge there that's gone, and what has that been replaced with? 
there are a lot of folks that believe that, that, that the department's kind of scrambling here uh, to try and replace that. Mm-hmm. That's WTTW's Paris Schutz. Also joining us this week on the recap is WBEZ's Patrick Smith. Paris, Patrick, let's take a look at some other big stories that happened this week. Loretto Hospital confirms that the hospital's board did in fact pass down a two-week unpaid suspension to the hospital CEO, George Miller. I'm concerned the city of Chicago seems to want to delay beyond April 12th. The first mid-pandemic crowd poured out of Wrigley Field after an 18-month hiatus. Average daily deaths across the state up 24% in less than two weeks. That's a quantum leap from where we were even three weeks ago. You don't want your Easter celebration, you know, to turn into a contact tracing event. You really don't. Okay, Paris, as we just heard, COVID-19 cases are on the rise in the city. What is driving this surge? Well, the uptick, it's almost 50% more uh, positive cases this week in Chicago over last. I mean, it's, it's a surge at this point. And if you look at the zip codes, it's in areas on the near north side, Old Town, Lincoln Park, and then some of the, the northwest uh, neighborhoods like Dunning and Jefferson Park, it's driven largely by 18 to 39-year-olds, according to the city's data. You know, you combine this with or last month, the loosening of uh, indoor dining and drinking restrictions, and it's hard not to correlate the two, that it seems like young people are congregating, especially in places like bars. And then you've got this more contagious U.K. variant, which is rapidly spreading in Chicago and the question is, do city officials go back on the 50% indoor capacity now? It doesn't seem like they're going to do that, but what it does seem like is this is going to delay any full or further reopening in Chicago and Illinois if this continues to go out of control. Paris, do you think there's a bit of mixed messaging going on here? I mean, we had opening day yesterday. That, tens of thousands of people showed up. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, you've got uh, the Ricketts family and, and the Cubs organization saying all these investments they made and making sure that it was going to be safe at the ballpark, like, you know, ordering uh, beer and pretzels and hot dogs on your phone and, you know, n- non-contact food lines or whatever. But, you know, their, their bigger concern is the area around Wrigleyville, all those bars there. I mean, those are the yeah. things that could be super spreaders. I think they feel that it is safe uh, at, at an outdoor stadium uh, to watch a game. They just worry about people congregating uh, and doing all those ancillary activities that they do around there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is mixed messaging. But also th- there was a story that came out this week about you know the mayor raising money, and she's gotten a lot of money from the Wurtzes and the Reinsdorfs. These are these are the, the owners of our big sports owners teams. Owners of the Sox <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the Hawks. And I just don't think she wants to um, – uh, let's say cross them for lack of a better word and say sorry no no more fans uh, for now because things are getting bad it just yeah. doesn't seem like things are going to go that way so as patrick said they have to they have to rely on the messaging and it's a race against time to get people vaccinated well yeah speaking of that race against time um this week we spoke with dr emily landon she's an infectious disease expert at u chicago medicine and you know she had this to say about vaccinations versus cases it's kind of a race, and I think of it as a tortoise and hare race, honestly. The variants are the hare that's racing ahead, and the vaccines are the tortoise. And we know that the tortoise is going to win. It's just how much we help the hare out and how far ahead the hare gets. It's just the more that we uh, spend time with people on masks, uh. the more that we go to bars and restaurants, the more we're helping the hare to get ahead. Paris, what more can the city and, frankly, the state do to get the tortoise to catch up to the hare? 
they could get more vaccines in the city of Chicago. And you heard Governor Pritzker there saying he doesn't understand why Chicago isn't opening uh, the vaccine up to all adults by April 12th like the rest of the state is. But Chicago officials are saying we don't have the vaccines. And you see downstate areas and counties uh, that have a surplus of vaccine for whatever reason. And maybe there are Chicagoans that are driving down there. But Chicago is just saying, well, you know, people are still having a lot of trouble getting appointments while there are surpluses elsewhere. So can can the state maybe reallocate? A lot of the distribution nationally is still based on population. And I, you know, I even heard Dr. Fauci on our air this morning talking about, you know, do they need to revisit the strategy there? I don't know if they will. I, we'll see. Sticking with COVID, the Loretto Hospital vaccine scandal continues to unfold this week. This time, a doctor with ties to the hospital took doses from the west side to his relatives in the suburbs. Patrick, what do you know about that and what's your reaction to to that latest news? Well, I mean, my reaction is just, you know, here I can't believe that there's another scandal there. I mean, it's just yeah, every time uh, the, the hospital is sort of like, we're sorry about that. You know, we have it under control. There's another thing comes out about misuse of these. As Ferris was just talking about, very precious vaccines. You know, we don't have enough, nearly enough in Chicago to, to meet the demand. And then you have this misallocation of them. It, it's really disappointing. My other reaction, and, and this is a little bit of speculation, is just you wonder if there's issues at other providers that we just don't know about, you know. The Chicago media has been like a, a dog with a bone with Loretto ever since Block Club Chicago started the reporting on the vaccinations at uh, at Trump Tower. And, and the media has uncovered scandal after scandal because of that. You do wonder, is Loretto particularly bad or are we just paying a lot of close attention to Loretto? And because, that's, that's a question yeah, that sort of lingers it, in my mind. Yeah, it's like, do we? is it just because we know about it happening um, and don't know about it happening somewhere else? So Loretto has repeatedly reassured Mayor Lightfoot that it's, quote, come clean, only for another scandal to come out. Let's listen a little bit here. We're committed to helping Loretto get it right because they're so important to the West Side community. Um, but I'm anxious to see what the results are. This kind of drip, drip, drip in the media with a different story and all kinds of reports, that doesn't help them, but it also doesn't build confidence that they are a trusted provider of the vaccine, which I think that they understand. Mm-hmm. Loretto CEO George Miller has been suspended for two weeks, and Dr. Anosh Ahmed resigned as CEO, COO and CFO last week. But Paris, how do you think this controversy is reflecting on the city and the mayor and their handling of vaccine distribution? Well, I mean, you heard the mayor very critical of Loretto, and at some point, Loretto is going to come out with their sort of postmortem on what exactly happened here. And as I understand, the city is is sort of helping them on, on their own internal investigation. But will that really reveal the truth? And and to Patrick's point, I think, yeah, we're all getting tips that this is going on elsewhere. But the thing that's so intriguing about Loretto is you've got state lawmakers involved in this hospital. You had two that were sitting on the board, one of them, LaShawn Ford, who yeah. resigned, the other one, State Senator Kimberly Lightfoot. And then you have another sitting state lawmaker who is an executive with the hospital, the chief of external affairs, Camille Lilly, who was also revealed this week that she had a list of, of people that were supposed to get vaccinated. So the intrigue here is the, the political clout at this hospital. And then I think the other thing that made this story so intriguing, 
that Block Club first revealed was was the COO and CFO, Dr. Anosha Med, Anasha Med, uh, leading this small community hospital in in one of the neediest, most underserved areas, and he's apparently living the high life. Yeah, with with, mm. with these steakhouses and and the jewelry and the Trump Tower condo and. I'm sorry, that raises all kinds of red flags. He was the chief operating officer of this hospital right. that gets reimbursed with Medicaid dollars. I mean, what's going on there? It's, yeah, and it's a safety net. And as Patrick kind of mentioned before, you know, Loretto is in a community that really needs a hospital like Loretto, a safety net there. You know, removing doses from there raises then questions about, well, where do those people then go to get access to vaccines? Patrick, we know vaccine equity is an issue here in Chicago. We still have a higher proportion of white residents being vaccinated than black and Latino residents, though, you know, black and Latino residents are kind of picking up the pace. Um, this week, Kristen Schorsch and I did a big story about distribution, where the where the vaccines have been shipped. You know, most of them go to the medical district. You know, West Inglewood only got 300. Um, what else do we know about just equity across the board here in Chicago as it relates to the vaccine, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, considering all your, your excellent reporting, it feels weird for you to ask me about this. <laughs> I want to ask you about it. But, I mean, we know it's still an issue. I think I have to assume that that is why the city is not trying to open this up for everybody on April 12th like the state is because, as Paris said, and as you've reported, we don't have enough for everybody, and there's still a real equity issue. So so there's it makes sense that there's a desire to try to – limit the um you know sort of limit the pool and and the city has expanded its efforts of doing vaccine uh vaccinations sort of out in underserved neighborhoods uh, i don't think they were in humble park this week along with other places and it's why the loretto stuff is so disappointing because right. not only are you taking that away from the west side but you also it makes it confusing for people who live on the west side if you if you live in austin now where are you supposed to go i, I could imagine there's lots of residents who are confused right now about where they're supposed to go to get their vaccine I wanted to touch quickly, very quickly in the last 30 seconds on another story. This is the racketeering case against veteran Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th Ward. It's been two years since he was charged. Um, He's managed to keep his seat on the city council. We got an update this week, didn't we? What's going on with his case? Are we going to have a trial yet? Yeah, more pretrial motions. There's going to be documents uh, that the prosecutors are going to file and the judges said keep it to 300 pages or less. I mean, it certainly seems like they're trying to run out the clock yeah. here. Ed Burke is, is in his 80s. This thing's going on forever, and you had COVID, and, you know, he's paying all these white-collar attorneys a lot of money to delay this thing. And um, But the thing is, Ed Burke has this giant campaign account in which he is allowed to use that yep. to uh, pay his legal costs. So that's certainly what it looks like is happening right now. Okay. Well, no trial date yet, but we'll keep an eye on it. That is all the time we have for the Weekly News Recap. Thanks to our panel today, WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith and WTTW correspondent and host Paris Schutz. Patrick Paris, thanks so much. And that's WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. If you depend on these deep dives into big local news stories, take 30 seconds and give us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find us, too. Don't forget, you'll hear the latest and best weekly Q&A around the pandemic and the vaccines right here. Just open your phone on Sunday morning and it'll be in this podcast feed. I'm Becky Vivi. Thanks for listening to Reset from WBEZ Chicago. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.